We know American presidents are capable of greatness. We've seen it throughout our history. And when it happens, you know it. You can feel it, even things that happened before we were born. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. In the world of freedom, the proudest boast is Ich bin ein Berliner. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Great stuff, great stuff, great men. Kennedy, but where are we right now? Joe Biden on his first international trip, and we're not seeing greatness. And uh, you know, I've said before, and I apologize to you. Know, I didn't, I didn't feel sorry you were taking my security I'm leaving out a lot of people here. I apologize. I'm going to get in trouble. But anyway, we'll get back to that. But um, uh, we, um, uh, you know, there's a lot that uh, that is is it, it, happening. All right, it's kind of sad. Did you get all that? Of course not. Take a look. Let's try to get through this together. And uh, I've said before, I apologize for the uh, why didn't Jake Sullivan from the State Department. Uh, I'm leaving out a lot of people here. I apologize. I'm going to get in trouble. But anyway, we'll get back to that. Um, but you, I mean, come on. This is, uh, and look at his staff. Look at how they're looking at him. Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, staring right at him. I believe rather nervously, as in what's going to happen next. The woman on the left actually just staring straight ahead, wants to pretend none of this is happening. And actually, people are pretending that none of this is happening, the media especially. Earlier today, President Biden again drawing a sharp contrast with former President Trump as he ended a 17-year-long trade war with Europe over airplane subsidies that will temporarily suspend tariffs on European luxury goods, including French wine, for American consumers. We're reasserting the fact that it's overwhelming the interest of the United States of America to have a great relationship with NATO and with the EU. I have a very different view than my predecessor did. All right, can you speak up? You can hear him above the cameras. And I'm sorry, that's actually part of leadership. Maybe he's wowing them behind closed doors, but part of leadership is the bearing, the command presence, uh, making your voice heard. And he's not doing that. And did you notice he's still talking about his predecessor? And this is planned. You know, they got a shot of his notes just before uh, a few comments. And here it is. Let me tilt it for you so you can see. Somebody took this picture. And look at his planned talking points. Sunday, June 13th, while he was in England, Trump abused power. Trump DOJ out of control. Now we have to clean it up. I've made it clear this DOJ will reflect my values and principles and priorities, not Donald Trump's. I mean, the guy is obsessed. You won the election, right? So take the ball and run with it. Why are you focused on President Trump? And you know what? You shouldn't be thinking about President Trump. How about Vladimir Putin? The killer you're going to have a meeting with tomorrow. And this guy literally is a killer. I mean it. I think he's killed people with his own hands, uh, KGB, for all those years. Putin is going to be a tough adversary. Now, I've said before, I hope Joe Biden mops the floor with this guy. I don't think it's going to happen, though. Putin knows America. He's been studying America a lot. Take a look. Did you order Alexei Navalny's assassination? 
Of course not. We don't have this kind of habit of assassinating anybody. That's one. Number two is, I want to ask you, did you order the assassination of the woman who walked into the Congress and who was shot and killed by a policeman? Wow. Pretty good question, right? Did you? Not to that guy, but Ashley Babbitt. What about that? She was shot, unarmed. What's going to happen when Joe gets asked about that? Hmm? I don't think Joe can handle it. Now, usually after you meet with uh, Putin, this has happened since 1999 uh, or 2000, you meet with the press and the president. Bill Clinton did it in 2000. George W. Bush did it down in Crawford, I think. Uh, let's see, Barack Obama had that, what they call a bilat. Donald Trump could handle it. Uh, but what about Joe Biden? It's not going to happen. They've already announced no joint press conference with Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin. Peter, has there been a final decision as to whether the two presidents will appear for questions after the meeting? Lester, with the president saying that he's prepared to confront Vladimir Putin, we now know that he will not be doing it in public. The White House announcing that President Biden will not hold a joint news conference afterwards with Putin. Instead, he'll take questions alone. Lester? Peter Alexander tonight. Thank you. Ah, moving right along. No, why not? How about the why? Who, what, when, where, why, and how in journalism, huh? Why not? Well, the answer is obvious, even to them, but they don't want to talk about it because Joe Biden would be outclassed and he can't do what his four predecessors did, have a joint press conference with Vladimir Putin. He can't handle it. Vladimir Putin now has been at this for a very long time. Presidents just come and go and he remains. Five presidents. And for President Xi, three presidents uh, so far. You know, actually, I'd like to make a recommendation. I think we should reevaluate this. Members of Congress can run for re-election until they die. Same for the Senate, same for most governors. But presidents, we limit them to two terms. That wasn't always the case. George Washington set the precedent, but there was nothing constitutional until after FDR came along. And I guess, did he overstay his welcome? He was there from, what, 32 to 45 or so, elected four times, four times. And that was just too much. So. They passed a constitutional amendment to say two terms max. Well, you know what? That potentially puts us at a disadvantage. Presidents come and go. Other leaders stay. Bureaucrats, the deep state stays. And that brings me to Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci has had that job for, I think, since the Carter administration at the National Institutes of Health. He has been there for a very, very long time. And now you'll know he's under fire. We're going through his emails, and he's very, very defensive. He may face an investigation into how some of that grant money was spent at that Wuhan lab, but he's very defensive. And I think in his defensiveness, uh, it reveals that we all might be onto something. It's very dangerous, Chuck, because a lot of what you're seeing as attacks on me, quite frankly, are attacks on science. Because all of the things that I have spoken about consistently from the very beginning, have been fundamentally based on science. Sometimes those things were inconvenient truths for people, and there was pushback against me. So if you are trying to, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. Quite a statement, huh? Wow. <laughs> Have you ever heard of a second opinion, doctor? We're allowed to get that. We want that, especially 
with you around, huh? If you attack me, by the way, Greg Kelly, you're not attacking the media, you're attacking me, and that's fine. All right, Dr. Fauci, that's how it works, and not all scientists agree. All right, stay with us. Coming up, we'll meet a young woman who defected from North Korea and then went to college here in New York City at Columbia University, one of the best schools in the country, and found it so troublingly similar to North Korea. We'll be right back. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. Millions are turning off the old channels. And switching to Newsmax, the fastest growing cable news channel in America. No agenda. No spin. Just the facts. Millions watch us. So can you. Newsmax, we're real news for real people. North Korea, of course, a brutal regime, terrible country, uh, the leadership there. It's a, basically a cult around Kim Jong-un, and that's Kim Jong-il, his father. This is a bad place, a dictatorship. They try to control the way you think. Our next guest actually spent a good chunk of her childhood there, Yomi Park, her book, In Order to Live, A North Korean Girl's Journey to Freedom. She escaped from North Korea with her family, moved to China. Ultimately, she came to America, to Columbia University, prestigious Ivy League school here in New York. Barack Obama graduated from there. Here she is on the campus at Columbia. Looks like she was uh, having a pleasant time, but behind the scenes and actually in class, it was brutal at times, uh, very similar to North Korea. A fascinating book, and it's getting a lot of renewed attention. Yomi Park, welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Thank you for having me. It is kind of shocking that uh, we would compare a, an American university to a totalitarian regime, uh, but you saw that. What was the first thing that struck you at Columbia that this isn't right, this isn't the freedom of America that I thought I was going to get? I mean, it was so ironic to me to see how much anti-American, anti-U.S. sentiment was there. <laughs> in North Korea, I had to do it. I had to hate Americans to survive. That's what the regime taught us. But coming to America, seeing these people voluntarily hating their ancestors, this institution that gave them freedom, that's what shocked me the most. That is interesting and it's very unique. Most people are loyal to their country. Here in America, it's fashionable to be against your own people, your own government. Let me ask you about um, Jane Austen, a wonderful writer. Um, I read one of her books, but I was forced to. <laughs> but you have a love of literature and we have some of her titles up. Uh, let's put them on the screen, please. These are classics. You expressed your fondness for these in class, I understand, and you got a very puzzling reaction when you said you like these books? Yeah, so in North Korea, actually, believe it or not, there is no vocabulary for love. The only love that people know is the love for the dear leader. Normal people are not even allowed to what love is. So for me to come into America and understand there was history before Kim's, that was under <laughs> shocking. And also understanding that people here in the West embracing that human love that was touching my heart. 
So I loved this, any books that was talking about love. And I talked to one of the orientation professors there. I love Jane Austen. And she was saying, do you know that the people who wrote that book are bigots, racists, who had a colonial mindset? They are subconsciously brainwashing you. So everything they were saying has a narrative and nothing was going against it. And that's when I was so shocked. So shocked indeed. And by the way, the source of so much evil in the world, according mm -hmm. to your professors and a lot of your peers, white men, I understand that they were frequently the object of ridicule and they're guilty of all manner of sins and they're responsible for the state of the world. Yep, exactly that. That's exactly what the North Korean regime taught me. White men who colonized other countries, who even though they were the ones who fought for freedom and they freed our South Korea. And in Colombia, the same narrative. And what also shocked me about the collective guilt. This is what communists do. North Korea punish people for being born into a like, different family for the blood. And here, people being punished for being white. And how do you choose your ancestors? That is the one thing that you can never choose as a human being. Can I ask you, back when you were in um, North Korea, you did not see much of Kim Jong-un. He was a mythic-type mm. figure. I don't think you ever laid eyes on him, and you only saw certain <laughs> pictures. Now, that's Kim Jong-il, the father. But Kim Jong-un, you heard about him over the years. And what did you hear, and what did you later discover? So when we were in North Korea, I was living there. They don't tell us that Kims are people. They are gods. They are like uh, Jesus Christ, right? Their body dies, but their spirit is with us forever. Who knows how much here I have, what I think in my thoughts. So being in North Korea, you don't just fear what you do physically, but you are literally afraid to think. Thought crime is a real thing in North Korea, and I learned that in America now, certainly becoming a thing. Because in North Korean regime, to control what you think, they had to control what you say, your speech. And now in America and Colombia, the first thing they were doing is controlling my speech. So that leads to thought, you know, changing your thoughts first. And I understand uh, that is more interesting, your response to the question I asked you. But I will say, mm -hmm. my understanding is they portrayed Kim Jong-un as a physical specimen, that he was very impressive not the fat guy that he is. Is that right? <laughs> no. Yeah, so he can move the mountains, he can do the miracles. I mean, North Korea copied the Bible. So they copied everything that God can do and put it into Kim's. And they do not even have this el electricity or internet in this 21st century, 21st century. So people have no clue what they are reading. They have to believe that all that propaganda to survive. So. You're a North Korean human rights activist. But, and I know that over there, people are starving to death and it's horrific. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But we have a big problem here as well. The wokeness <laughs> uh, and potential authoritarianism. Are you thinking about applying your talents to the situation here in America? You already have, but perhaps more so. So this is another funny thing. I literally crossed the frozen Gobi Desert to be free. And now in America, when I talk about how I was being sold in China at 13 as a sexual slave by communist regime in China, I get censored by mainstream media. So I have to fight for my freedom of speech in America right now. I have no option. 
And I was thinking, where do we go after this? If America falls, where do we go as a humanity? This might be the last chance that we become free as a human beings. So we all have to fight together right now. I am so glad that you're in this fight. I am so glad. Uh, Yomi Park, a pleasure to meet you. Let's put your book up on the screen. Required reading, I believe, in order to live a North Korean girl's journey to freedom. And by the way, you can follow Yonmi on, on Twitter at Yonmi Park NK. And uh, we appreciate it so much. All the best. Thank you, Greg. Thank you. All right. Take care. And we'll be right back. Check out the Newsmax Daily Podcast with me, Rob Carson. You get daily news, insightful commentary, and believe it or not, comedy. Check it out wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or at NewsmaxTV.com slash podcast. All I can say is that the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Folks, I'm going to accept on behalf of me... Chuck Schumer's apology. Senator Schumer, all right, he said something he shouldn't have said. Look, there are a lot of reasons to not like Chuck Schumer. I'm not saying I'm a fan. I'm not saying I don't want him replaced, but uh, he gets a pass from me on this faux pas. I found that my whole career. They wanted to build, a, uh, in when I first was assemblyman, mm -hmm. they wanted to build a, a congregate living place for retarded children. Mm. The whole neighborhood was against it. These are harmless kids. They just needed right. some help. We yeah. got it done. Took a while. All right. Did you hear that? Of course you did. Well, you don't say that anymore. It was uh, at one point used widely, and it wasn't even pejorative, but now it is. Uh, but Chuck Schumer grew up in another world, and that's okay. AHRC, uh, the Association to Help uh, People with Disabilities, uh, they don't actually call it what it used to be called. Anyway, that still exists, A-H-R-C. The R stands for R. They don't say the other word. Uh, people move on. It evolves. N-A-A-C-P. Nobody ever talks about what the C uh, stands for anymore because I don't think it stands for that. I think they altered it. Language changes. Chuck said he was sorry. He meant nothing by it. But now, Chuck Schumer, I think you got to apologize for the phony impeachment and a bunch of other stuff. But for this... All is forgiven. Also, Chrissy Teigen, you know who she is? She is John Legend's wife, right? And uh, boy, oh boy, she's uh, pretty bossy and something of a bully on social media. Apparently, she was telling all kinds of celebrities to, uh, you know, I hope you die or you should die and nasty stuff. And she's been going through a hard time. But this hard, she has apologized. Check out this apology. It's a doozy. <laughs> Three pages long from Chrissy Teigen. And let's go through some of the apology. Wow. I want you to know I've been sitting in a hole of deserved global punishment. Global. Wow. The ultimate sit here and think about what you've done. Keeps going. Uh, not a day. Not a single moment has passed where I haven't felt the crushing weight of the regret for the things I've said in the past. Now, confronted with some of the things that I said, I cringe to my core. I'll honestly get sharp stabbing pains in my body, randomly remembering my blank hole past, and I deserve it. She did say a lot of really nasty things about people wanting them to die and maybe they should do it themselves, and that's bad stuff. But um, apology accepted. I think that we should um, accept that apology. And by the way, the Internet, people go there to fight. <laughs> people sometimes, that's kind of what it's all about. 
in some areas of the internet. Um, who likes Monty Python? Remember the episode where uh, they had like the argument office? It's kind of like that. Is this the right one for an argument? I've told you once. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. I did. didn't. I'm telling you, I did. You did not. Oh, I'm sorry, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? <laughs> oh, oh, just the five-minute one. All right, I saw this as a kid, and I could understand the voices much better back then for some reason, but it's actually pretty funny. So, Chrissy Teigen, I think we can forgive. Uh, I think we should see more forgiveness in this um, pretty harsh society. What do you think? Oh, who likes Pink Floyd? We don't need no education. Remember this song? What a grim uh, <laughs> UK that is, huh? Anyway, uh, Pink Floyd, very successful band from the UK. Roger Waters, one of the founding members, he was just offered a big pile of money by Facebook if he would give the rights to that song you just heard. And uh, he said, no. You can keep your money. I'm not doing it. I object to Facebook and how you're trying to take over the world. This is an insidious, it's the insidious movement of them to take over absolutely everything, you know. So those of us who do have any power, and I do have a little bit, in terms of the control of the publishing of my songs, I do anyway. So I will not be a party to this bull****, Zuckerberg. All right. I kind of like that. I have a love-hate relationship with, uh, with Facebook. Uh, so I spend time there, but then again, they're not nice to conservatives. They weren't nice to Donald Trump, right? I think we all know that. You could actually look at the body language. There's Mark Zuckerberg in the Oval Office with Donald Trump. Mm, I don't know about you, Mr. President. And check him out with Barack Obama, huh? It's going to be a boys' weekend, huh? Let's go somewhere. They look very, very tight. Social media giants were always trying to stick it to President Trump. How about Jack Dorsey, the founder and CEO of Twitter? See him with the beard there and the white shirt? Look at him slumped back, not impressed with the president of the United States. Well, check him out when he showed up at the Obama White House, huh? There he is in the back. Yes, Mr. President. Indeed, Mr. President. Look how happy he is to be there. I think you can tell a lot by the body language. All right. Now this. Black lives do matter. All lives matter. Black lives matter. But not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only seem to care when a black life is taken by a white cop. All black lives, white lives, every life matters, including the life of 18-year-old Christopher Wood, shot and killed in Rochester, New York, Saturday afternoon. Shot multiple times while walking through a residential neighborhood. A 14-year-old boy, uh, he was also shot but survived. Family says he had a tough life in and out of foster care until his older sister adopted him, but he was always very respectful and well-liked. They have no idea why he was shot. They said uh, that kids can't go outside up there in Rochester because of surging gun violence. These kids aren't making it to C. Some ain't making it to C-18. Some not making it to C-21, where life is just really beginning. Children right now are desensitized on on people dying 
You see it every day. I fear for my kids every day. When my kids even go out here, I fear that, you know what I'm saying? Could it be one of them? So far, no suspects. The community says gun violence is out of control in Rochester. Another teen shot Monday night, now in critical condition. Christopher Wood, just 18 years old. We'll be right back. If you've had it with the old news. And the same spent. Well, then Spicer and Company's your place. For the inside story. And for the facts that you need to know. Hey, we just have this. Uh, President Trump, former President Trump, will be heading to the Texas border. I have accepted the invitation of Governor Greg Abbott to join him on an official visit to our nation's decimated southern border on Wednesday, June 30th. Uh, looks like he's going to be Kamala Harris to the border. We are joined. We just happen to have with us Governor Abbott right now, Greg Abbott of Texas. Sir, welcome back to Newsmax. Um, did you just get the news or um, when did you find out he was accepting your invitation? This is something that the president and I have talked about for a while now. And as he pointed out uh, in his letter, it's something that I invited to him to come down uh, to the border to visit with the public about the border because uh, he set uh, the, the high mark for what needs to be done on the border with building the border wall, with the Remain in Mexico policy, with the Title 42 policy, and by sending a message uh, that no longer could people come across the border illegally, that he was going to enforce the immigration laws. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's amazing that we now have been uh, through about five months or so of, of another administration. They have yet to come down to the border, either the president or the vice president, uh, whereas President Trump was highly engaged and he remained uh, in active communication with me during the entirety of his presidency, in part because of his concern about border, but also because of his concern about the way that Texans and Americans were being impacted by this massive influx across the border. And one last thing, Greg, real quick, and, and that is, if you look at what President Trump was able to do in comparison to President Biden, it's astonishing because last April, when President Trump was still in office, there were 17,000 people apprehended coming across the border. This April, under President Biden, there have been more than 170,000 people apprehended, so more than a 1,000% increase under the Biden administration. Obviously, President Trump was controlling the border far better than President Biden is. Sir, you're going to step in, though. You're going to build the wall. You're going to step in and build a good chunk of this. Uh, but I want to show folks at home, there is a very long Texas-Mexico border, as you know, almost 1,300 miles. Uh, you don't need a wall for the entire length. Am I correct in that? There, there, there are lakes. There are certain areas where a wall would just make no difference. Well, in addition to what you just said, also there are certain areas where e either no one or really hardly anyone ever crosses the border. Conversely, Greg, there are other areas where there are an incredible uh, influx of uh, invaders coming across the border, and that's exactly why we need, need to build the border wall in certain strategic areas. And it's going to be tomorrow that I make the public announcement about exactly what the Texas plan is for building the border wall. Uh, I want to take a peek at what it looks like right now. We've got this is actually from, I believe, DHS. If you look, it's not the best. It's not exactly obvious, but the red is where we have wall or partial wall so far. So I know the big announcement is coming tomorrow, but what can you tell us? Give us a preview. How long, where, that kind of thing. 
Well, again, those are issues, Greg, that I'm going to have to save until tomorrow. And okay. you can report it tomorrow night. Uh, but just know that Texas has a plan to step up uh, and continue the process of building a wall because we need to to help protect our fellow Texans from the unbelievable number of people coming across the border. All right. So you're going to wait till tomorrow. But can you tell me this? How high? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it will be effective. Let me put it that way. All right. Hey, uh, it, it is astonishing that President Trump is coming back to the border. We love that. But that Kamala Harris, the vice president, we talked about it a moment ago. But, you know, there's a big difference between campaigning and governing. You know that. She should know that. Here she is in 2019. But what does this president do? He virtually looks at those children and says, go back to where you came from. What do we have in this president? A policy that was about taking children, separating them from their parents, and calling it border security. No, that was a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government, and it is against the morals and the values of who we are as a nation. Wow. Talk about a virtue signal. It felt so good for her to say that. And then, and Guatemala, a different tune. To be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. And she goes on to uh, say that um, we will enforce our laws. In 2019, she was kind of blowing that off. Um, so, Governor Abbott, uh, let me ask you this. This has been a problem for a long time. You're just deciding to do this now. And I think n Donald Trump changed the game. He said this is this is actually feasible. We can do this. He didn't quite get it done. He tried. We know he got a lot of pushback. But why didn't we possibly try to do this earlier? Sure. Easy answer, at least as far as I'm concerned, because every year that I have been governor, uh, Texas has been providing almost a billion dollars every biennium for border security using uh, Texas National Guard as well as Texas Department of Public Safety officers. The need for that decreased under President Trump, for one, because President Trump enforced the immigration laws, but for another, because he began building the wall. And had President Trump been reelected, Candidly, Texas probably would not have had the need to spend Texas taxpayer dollars on doing the federal government's job. It was only after President Biden got elected and suddenly changed building the wall and the Remain in Mexico policy and the other policies that were securing the border that required Texas to increase our effort. The first thing I did uh, was in Biden's second month in office when I launched Operation Lone Star that deployed more than 1,000 Department of Public Safety officers, National Guard, where together they have arrested more than 1,500 people and have apprehended more than 35,000 immigrants coming across the border illegally. We have seen, however, that that effort is not going to be sufficient, which is now why Texas is going to step up and take the next step and begin building the wall in Texas. All right. Well, we know you'll host the president very well, and that should be a very interesting visit for both of you. Hey, Governor Abbott, um, you know, it's interesting. I've known about you, uh, well, since you became governor, what, six years ago, but only recently, and I've been watching you for a long time, uh, did I realize that you are confined to a wheelchair. Uh, a lot of folks don't know that, and I just, I was surprised. I understand you had an accident in your, in your 20s. Can you tell us a little bit about that and... Has it, um, sure. how it's affected you? I mean, beyond the obvious, uh, you know, your life dramatically changed. Sure. Well, it's one thing you can't see through a TV camera like this. 
Uh, but yeah, I, I was in my 20s and uh, I was out running. So I was an avid runner. And while I was out running one day, a massive oak tree uh, crashed and fell down on my back uh, and hit me in the back and crushed my vertebrae and my spinal cord, leaving me immediately and permanently paralyzed and needing to use a wheelchair ever since that time. But I gotta tell you, I chose immediately not to be a victim, but to find a way to be a victor. I learned a very important lesson, and that is our lives are not going to be defined by our challenges. Instead, we define our lives by the way that we respond to those challenges. And it was after the accident that put me into the wheelchair that I went on to become a state district judge in Houston. I became a Supreme Court justice for the state of Texas. I became the longest serving attorney general in Texas history and now governor of the great state. Part of that is because of the resolve that I had not to be a victim, but part of it shows the art of the possible in Texas, showing that I live in a state where even a young man whose life is broken in half can rise up and be governor of this great state. I love it, sir. Thank you for sharing that story. And um, well, good luck tomorrow. Uh, we'll be watching and we'll report tomorrow night uh, all the details. We appreciate it so much. Governor Greg Abbott, Republican of Texas, all the best, sir. Thank you, Greg. And we'll be right back. So I was watching another network last night, the evening news. Look at this. And that shooting comes on the heels of a rash of gun violence across the country over the weekend. Now police across the country are bracing for a deadly summer. With more on that, here's Gabe Gutierrez. Uh, you think? Gabe's going to have a lot to choose from. Take a look at this. Uh, crime is out of control all over the place. And you know what? The mainstream media, the left, Democrats had a lot to do with it as they sanctioned and encouraged and fueled all of those anti-police riots and violence and protests, even the peaceful protest against cops. You saw it, I saw it. This was somehow beautiful. Well, I thought it was ugly, and now we're seeing the ugly results. I'd like to bring in our panel. We got Harrison Floyd with us, a former Marine and also former executive director of Black Voices for Trump. No such thing as a former Marine, of course. And Kelly Hyman, Democratic strategist and an attorney. Welcome to you both. Harrison, I am not surprised. Do you think the woke media are surprised by this uptick in violence? Well, they uh, probably shouldn't be because all those places that you mentioned that were up on the screen are led by uh, Democratic politicians. We've seen 63 of 66% uh, of the largest police jurisdictions in the country have seen an increase in violent crime. You don't hear about it because it doesn't fit the narrative of white cops. 33% increase in homicides, don't hear about it, doesn't fit the narrative. And you definitely haven't heard about Kobe Daniel, a little six-year-old boy who was shot by an Asian man in uh, Michigan because he wasn't a white cop. Indeed, that's the narrative they seem to care about. Black lives matter. They care when a, when a black life is taken by a white cop. But this affects so many more people, Kelly Hyman. Thanks for being here, by the way. Your thoughts? Well, thank you so much for having me. My thoughts and prayers go out to anyone affected by gun violence. And, but we have to also remember under the Second Amendment that everyone has a right to bear arms, and that's in our Constitution. So I think it's important for us to discuss how we can resolve this issue and discuss about gun safety to make sure that people are not harmed, but people who have their guns are also entitled to it as well. You know who could actually help, I believe? The NRA. They're all about responsible gun ownership. I keep hearing about illegal guns 
uh, people not shooting straight and hitting the wrong person. Harrison, almost all the time, especially when it comes to kids dying, getting shot, it seems to be they're caught in the crossfire. They weren't the intended victims. Well, you're absolutely right, Greg. And uh, when you look like me and you come from one of those cities listed on the screen, this is something that's quite common. You grow up with uh, just about every day. But um, just to quickly point on what Kelly mentioned, you know, this isn't always a gun issue. You can murder someone without a gun. Uh, robbery and aggravated assault can be committed without a gun. This is because of rewarding bad behavior, allowing people to riot and loot in these liberal cities and not putting a foot down and sending in the National Guard like President Trump wanted to do. Now it's out of, out of their control. You know, I, would, I do want to show this clip, and I think it was a kind of one of those iconic moments where the full-blown hypocrisy of the media was on display for everybody. This will go down in history. Ali Velshi in the middle of Minneapolis last year. I want to be clear in how I characterize this. This is a, mostly a protest. Uh, it, is not, uh, it is not, generally speaking, unruly. I mean... All mayhem is breaking out. I do think that the media's selective reporting, their bias, has really impacted lives. I think we're losing lives because of this, the dishonesty. And cops, Kelly, have been delegitimized, stigmatized, and in some cases canceled by the left. Well, the cops put their life on the line. And my thoughts and prayers go to any officer that's lost their life because of some kind of harm to them. But I think it's important to remember that there are some bad apples, and absolutely, but I, I do believe that the police that help the American people, and that's what they want to do. Well, we do love our cops, and that's why I hate it when they are unfairly maligned as they were for most of the past year, year and a half. I do want to get you both on President Biden's travels. He is overseas right now and not impressing too many people, unfortunately. Uh, take a look at this again with Lester Holt, actually, from the news. Uh, this mo it, first of all, Joe Biden seems to be kind of lagging. And what is the answer to this question that uh, Mr. Holt posed to one of his reporters? Peter, has there been a final decision as to whether the two presidents will appear for questions after the meeting? Lester, with the president saying that he's prepared to confront Vladimir Putin, we now know that he will not be doing it in public. The White House announcing that President Biden will not hold a joint news conference afterwards with Putin. Instead, he'll take questions alone. Lester? Peter Alexander tonight. Thank you. <laughs> you know, that's when you ask one of those follow-up questions, even if it's scripted. Well, why not? Putin has done it with Clinton, with Bush, with Obama, with Trump. I think we all know why, uh, but Harrison, you tell, let's you start. Uh, why will there not be a joint press conference between Joe Biden, with Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin? Well, first and foremost is because the guy can't go five minutes without making an inappropriate gaffe. Uh, you, when 90% of the world's nuclear weapons are held in the United States and Russia, you know, this is something incredibly important you don't want to make a misstep on. So he's trying to save face and uh, hide like he did during the campaign and not come out and speak to the world. Uh, Kelly, you know, I just think cognitively speaking, he's not up to um, holding his own with Vladimir Putin publicly. Well, I would disagree with you on that. But we also have to remember that 
the, as they some would say that it's not to the end. There might possibly be a chance that they do come out and do a joint uh, conference together. So that might still happen, but they're meeting together and talking about issues. And we have to remember that Biden has a long history in, in foreign affairs and foreign policies as being the vice president and representing his state as well. Yes, I mean, we can argue or debate the effectiveness of all those years, but hey, good point though, Kelly. I, ha I, I suspect that they may surprise us, um, but who knows? Who knows? We'll see. Kelly, I appreciate it. Kelly Hyman, Democratic strategist and attorney, and of course, Harrison Floyd, welcome back. Former executive director of Black Voices for Trump, Semper Fi, my friend. Thank you both. Grant Stinchfield standing by. Hello, Grant. What's going on tonight at 8 Eastern? Well, Greg, you know, the NFL got involved in this war on cops. We've got an unbelievable story for you about a black police officer who is now suing the NFL for defamation. You got to hear this story. Anybody that loves police officers is going to be really angry with the NFL for what they did to this cop. Stick around for that at 8 o'clock, Greg. Uh, what? Yeah, tell me, the NFL, I mean, they've been woke, virtue signaling, all this stuff for, for a while now. What? Uh, tell us more about them and the war on cops. Well, you know, they have this say his name, say her name campaign, and they're basically profiling, in many cases, violent thugs that were attacking police officers. And that plays into what this cop experienced. Um, and so, look, the NFL, like so many other companies, they are exactly what you said. They're woke. They're pandering. But in the end, Greg, it's wrong and it's dividing the country and it harms our police officers. I'm so glad you're doing this work, Grant. Uh, thank you. And uh, it sounds great. Have a good one. Thanks. I'll see you later, and I'll see you in a moment. The border, Texas-Mexico, is very, very long, almost 1,300 miles. Now, we want a fence, right? We want a wall, but it doesn't have to go the entire distance. There are lakes. There are other areas where no one ever crosses, but it looks like the wall is coming Governor Abbott was here earlier, said that they're going to announce more wall construction by the state. And guess who's coming to the border? Former President Trump. This is just came out tonight. Uh, let's put it up on the screen. I have accepted the invitation of Texas Governor Greg Abbott to join him on an official visit to our nation's decimated southern border on Wednesday, June 30th. Uh, the Biden administration, he goes on, inherited from me the strongest, safest and most secure border in U.S. history. And in mere weeks, they turned it into the single worst border crisis in U.S. history. It is an unmitigated disaster zone. He's got a point, And it's pretty wild that the former president is going there before the sitting vice president. And it's her job to secure the border. We saw Joe Biden give her that uh, that uh, responsibility. Anyway, thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow night. And stand by for Stintfield. He's got some great stuff.